You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast. We bring young agrarians and their mentors together in conversation around the challenges and the joys of life in agriculture. The average age of the American farmer is 58 years old and rising. In order to rejuvenate our fields and rangelands with a new generation of farmers, ranchers, and land stewards, we need to talk about mentorship. We need to talk about effective land transition. We need to explore what it means to apply regenerative values not only with the land, but also with the people who tend it. Together, we can build thriving ecosystems and an abundant future. My name is Ariel Bobbitt. And my name is Shauna Burhans, and we'll be facilitating these conversations. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. to Regeneration Rising. We have a really special episode for you today. You'll hear from Christine Sue, Nicole Masters, and Betsy Ross for an intergenerational conversation about the connections between soil health and community health. If you were at the Kavira Coalition's Regenerate Conference in early November, you caught their conversation as the keynote panel, Sisters of the Soil. Christine Sue is the co-founder and CEO of PastureMap, one of our podcast's co-sponsors. PastureMap is grazing and livestock management software helping producers improve profits on healthy grasslands. Christine is joined in conversation with Nicole Masters, an agroecologist, systems thinker, and the director of Integrity Soils based in New Zealand. It was a real treat to listen in on their conversation with Betsy Ross, who is the co-owner and founder of Betsy Ross Grass-Fed Beef, as well as the CEO of Sustainable Growth Texas, LLC. We'll let them introduce themselves, starting with Nicole Masters. So I thought we'd kick off just with some quick introductions in case some of you don't know who Christine or Betsy are, which would be remarkable, I think, in itself. Um, So for me, I think if I ask the question, what brought me here? What is my relationship to soil? Um, If I think back to my very earliest memories, and my parents will recall finding me in the garden, picking snails out of the shells and eating them, Um, (laughs) spending a lot of time being really interested in the garden, but... In 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted, and at the time I was five, so you can do the maths on my age, yeah, I'm that old. Um, And it had a massive impact on me as a five-year-old. I was so intrigued with that the earth could come out of the ground and swamp communities and kill people and just change entire landscapes. And my grandmother subscribed me to National Geographic, and it's been like a love affair of landscapes and human interactions ever since. So I studied ecology, I actually wanted to be a great white shark researcher. Um, I'm really pleased I don't do that job now. I'm thinking really cold water, murky, and things with teeth. I'm like, no, soil is so much more exciting than great white sharks. Um, And so, yeah, I moved back to the family farm when I was 25. As a single parent, my tail between my legs, and um, my dad helped me out to set up a worm farm business, so I got into vermiculture. And, you know, it's pretty hard as a single parent to find work in rural communities, and so it was pretty neat that Dad could find a way to stack his enterprise. And, and I started making a really good, fungal, diverse vermicast. And some of the people that were really interested in vermicast was um, marijuana growers. Uh, they know that if you plant your crop in vermicast, it won't get pests and disease, you don't have to water it, and you can walk away for a substantial length of time and then come back and harvest your crop, which is important in New Zealand where it is still illegal. Um, yeah. 
so they taught, they taught me a lot about soil. And then I met Elaine Ingham, I think, in 2002, and she just, she said soil was alive, and I'm like, no one mentioned that. that that's really cool. You can do soil science at university and no one mentions the alive bit. Um, yeah, and so gradually I've been a very reluctant consultant and it's just been a journey of working with people and being really committed to how do we get chemicals out of the food system on a large scale. So I did start working in community gardens and then I got more and more intrigued with how do we communicate with large scale cropping operations? How do we work with some of the largest ranches and stations in the world to really look at where do we get nutrient density from? How do we get chemicals out of the system? And how do we clean up our rivers and waterways? So, like, it's, I, I just, I never tire of it. So, it feels like it's always evolving, like I'm never stagnant. And these days, what really fires me up is the quorum signaling, so the communication stuff, and also behavior change. What enables somebody who's in a really high input system to take that leap and start to look at how do we build resilience or nutrition? and that behavior change stuff, I think I'll, I'll never tire of that either. So that's a little nutshell to you, Betsy. Well, do, is this on? You're on, girl. Okay. All right. I've been doing this work for 25 years. Now, uh, the vocabulary wasn't there for a lot of the words we talk about now. So we've moved a long way. But it started out with grass-fed uh, Betsy Ross, grass-fed beef. <laughs> in Texas, <laughs> they said you could not do it. You can't raise grass-fed on grass. There's not enough nutrients in the soil. It just won't work. It's going to take you $513 a year for that cow to raise that calf, and for you are going to have to send it to Oklahoma or somewhere up in North Texas to finish. I said, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> and uh, I had gone back to the farm over in the Blackland. And so uh, uh, I had retired, or was thinking about it at that time, but I had this grandchild that was born very prematurely and was going to need a lot of help. Heard Sally Fallon talk. Mm. You know who she is? Sa Sally Fallon, uh, Weston Price uh, Foundation who told us about grass-fed beef and how important it was for health. And that was the first conversation I'd ever heard about hooking up food to people's health, really. And so here this little baby was, and Grammy was gone. I come to the rescue, come high or low water. Go, Granny. So, uh, we started on our journey. We were very fortunate, you know, with a name like Betsy Ross, you get a little publicity anyway, and besides, everybody said we couldn't do it. This is a powerful thing, and it has started us on a journey, this child being born here in Sally Fallon, and I hope the three of us can inspire you all to start your journey. If you aren't on it, we want you to get after it and get out there. <laughs> started doing this 25 years ago, <laughs> uh, you know, we thought soil biology was everything. <laughs> and it is, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. It's imperative that we add all of that. But we've been going through, it's 
continues to be a learning process and you get to a plateau and you have a lot of good results <laughs> and then you get stuck yeah okay I'm stuck there is that happening yeah. to you yeah 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 and people I work with and so then you think huh what else do I need yeah so really uh, you know we grow up in the linear world <laughs> mm-hmm. and everybody wants to talk about just that piece yeah and one of the problems, like on amendments, one of the problems on amendments is, is that the bat, everyone says you have to add this much, when really uh, that's as if you're not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and what we've learned is this one plateau after another, that you combined everything. And it's all about a community. It's mm-hmm. not about competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we always kept record. We records we started on the farm, on the uh, in, uh, in Central Texas. We have homestead. I mean, our pet grandparents and parents and brother on the ranch in West Texas. And so they had the cow calves, and we, you know, had the rain down in Central Texas. Mm. And uh, so. Um, uh, we could do things quicker down there and study what was happening. It was a whole new thing when you add water to, to all of this. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we, we were learning how to, um, uh, we were moving through uh, the trophic levels and, and through the first responders and second responders and all of a sudden would hit a, a wall pretty fast. And so we would keep notes. Why did that happen? You know, it worked last time, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, then we'd try to figure that out. And it might be two years later, we would realize, oh my gosh, you know, we've been using the same compost all the time. Certain little narrow sets of uh, uh, feeding species don't have enough carbon. What is the limiting factor here? Oh, I need to add this, so we'd add that. Or we would see clovers coming up all of a sudden where we hadn't seen them or we would be past them mm-hmm. and um, so that's kind of how we grew and how we got into this is one thing just led into another mm-hmm. but it all started because I had this sick grandchild and I heard Sally Fallon talk mm-hmm. saying that we needed to do something with our soil mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so that's that's where I, I uh, how we approach restoring the soil is trying to figure out really what's happening what's connected and that's kind of what what I'm hearing and what you're saying is you're applying regenerative thinking to your regenerative soil processes which is that don't think that we know it all don't take anything for granted don't just like not to adapt and it's like we're constantly adapting we're adapting with our interactions with people and what we learn and what the livestock are telling you and what the weeds are telling you and I think that is the trap is that people step into a a new way of being which is what regenerative agriculture asks for us is a new way of seeing patterns and then thinking that's it that they've they've done that step and then that's it and and this is a it's a bigger call than conventional agriculture i think because it requires you to have observations and to think instead of someone telling you what to do Mm -hmm. which is a lot easier you know some days i wish someone just tell me what to do (laughs) and every piece of land is kind of different even though there's some same things about it um yeah what do you think 
well, earlier we talked about um, using soil as the metaphor, and it's really uncanny how we had, I had a conversation with Nicole, and then a, later a conversation about Betsy, and then within the first five minutes, we were both talking about community and energy, mm-hmm. and following where the energy is, mm-hmm. and I think that's, uh, there's a deeper realization that we've come to that it's yeah. not a formula and it's not it's also not the playbook of the PowerPoint that you see at a conference mm-hmm. yes. because what it is is um, I, I have heard a lot of people talk about the mycorrhizal fungi as a network so I think like that metaphor is pretty clear everyone needs to be in community with each other but um, what's really resonating for me this conference is space mm-hmm. like healthy soil having poor space and kind of being open and empty to what may come next. Like you said, you don't know what kind of weeds are going to pop up. And I, because I don't haven't even studied the whatever five, six trophic levels that we're going to get to, like um, when you apply that metaphor to a community, mm-hmm. I think maybe we don't know which pro- trophic level we're at as a regenerative community. Mm-hmm. And when we make poor space, like when we make space, for something else to grow, for Mm -hmm. some other diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know what all the microbes do. We also don't know what all of the weeds do either. But uh, thinking about that as, uh, I I love Betsy's mindset about weeds. It's like, this is something that I need to understand and they know what they're doing. Um, And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about (laughs) weeds. Um, That that child learner mindset um, is something that we could cultivate more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like space in the mind which then gives you i think it's i catch myself because i i'm a know-it-all like i just fall See? to it's my default setting is like oh yeah i got that and then going actually i have to li- i have to listen newly on every property that i visit and listen newly to every person as they're speaking because the minute you start assuming oh yeah i know this pattern or i know what this is indicating or I know what this person's dealing with in life you have no idea and and you have no idea with people and it's I think it's that way of being that is stepping back and having space to listen and space to be with whatever people's conversation is as well and probably tonight I might share a story that I'm not going to share now but it was really profound for me in terms of if you offer people that space for them to say whatever it is they have to say and not to be a wall against it, it gives them freedom to see maybe their perspective too. So they, instead of being a reaction, which is I think what an agricultural approach is, has been this reaction or a knee-jerk or a control, whereas regenerative agriculture is how do we transform our outcomes? How do we transform issues? And so things like genetic engineering for me is not a no and like a lot of chemicals for me are not no it's just it doesn't fit where we're going if we're transforming outcomes in terms of nutrition or outcomes for people and young people and connections to land it's it's all transformative thinking so none of that becomes a reaction or a wrong making of people and i and i know myself i still catch myself sometimes making people wrong and having to go look give yourself the space and give them the space Mm -hmm. and then see what comes out of that yeah yeah, we can get, uh, my son used to say, Mama, don't, <laughs> you're in a box. Yeah. Don't get out of the box. Yeah. You, you're stuck. Uh, 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 we got to think about this differently. And it's so easy to put yourself <laughs> into a different box, right? So yeah. like well, uh, hopefully, it, it's, it's a regenerative thinking. That's mm. a beautiful way to say that. Uh, uh, 
a good concept to think about it because mm. I'll run into people. Uh, I mean, we have dealt with lots of people and lots of land and mm. tried lots of things and uh, over these years. And um, people will say, but you said 20 years ago, blah. Well, first of all, I can't remember what I said 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably not as pertinent now, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so you have to give when you're doing uh, what we're doing with the soil. You have to be ready to hear new things. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready to re-examine things mm -hmm. uh, all of the time. I yeah. mean, this weed business, yeah. uh, you know, is just uh, why are they there? I kept oh, saying fabulous. they're there. Mm. It, you know, nothing is is uh, in mama nature is just uh, harem scary mm. you know everything's intentional so what is happening that what is the cause that's bringing that weed there yeah and I finally decided okay this is mama nature's finest recipe mm -hmm. to fix the soil mm -hmm. and so what are they doing so then we started building a database um, uh, of, of weeds mm -hmm. and it was just staggering but we couldn't hear that early on no. you know and and so you have to it, it we started out thinking it was comp competition mm -hmm. and that's what everything is taught us mm -hmm. that's what the chemical people teach us yeah uh, it's fittest of the strong and mm. no no it's who needs the help yeah uh, sort of thing so uh, uh, it's, it's very very interesting and I think that the survival for the fittest thing is really interesting if you look historically that survival of the fittest and Darwin's theory only really took off at the beginning of capitalism because they decided that the survival of the fittest model fitted with capitalism that you had to compete and that was going to be better for the entire race if you look at his at um, the origin of species he mentions love 97 times and survival of the fittest once so they talk about collaboration and love being the key to evolution, but yeah. what they picked up on was, oh no, it's competition. And then that set the whole scene for our modern agricultural era, was that you had to kill and you had to compete and you had to be better than everybody else, and I think it was the downfall for agriculture. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just trying to reflect back what I'm hearing from you about ways of being, like I, feel, I hear you describing a dominion-based form of interpreting agriculture in the world versus mm. like a receiving and mm. a love based way. Like oh, yeah. you said you were trying to receive nice what somebody else has and that's mm -hmm. another metaphor for soil. Yes. Right? You know, like if you what does it mean for us to show up in a space not even the question like what regenerative means, I really struggle with like, oh, I know the definition of regenerative. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to every... tell you. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and you need to watch these videos and you need yeah. to read these books. And if you haven't read these books, like I don't want to talk to you. you know, that's, that's a, that's a dominion-based way of thinking yep. and um, a way of, I don't know if you'd call it teaching. No, yeah. no. And I think it's our colonial linear mentality instead of what's possible or I wonder like when my son was young I brought him up with the Rudolf Steiner teachings um and he went to the Steiner school you know about anthroposophy yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway the what um what kind a, of school uh Waldorf schools yeah oh, okay yeah, yeah but Rudolf Steiner mm -hmm. um and he was he was always asking questions and he was like he asked me what 
acidity was. And I'm like, well, it's the negative logarithmic of the hydroxide ion, right? <laughs> to the four-year-old or whatever. And so <laughs> he's asking me about, there was um, like steam coming out of the mountains. It wasn't steam, it was like um, early mist coming out of the mountains. And he's like, wow, what's that? And I was already with, well, it's an inversion layer with transpiration of the forest. And then I was like, oh. So I said to him, I, I wonder. And I stepped back and he went, oh, it's dragon smoke. And I'm like, that is so much better than what I had prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he really taught me really early on about asking the wonder questions um, or reflecting that back to people. Like people often, you know, my tendency is I want to have the answers. But, and people will ask me those really technical questions. And I have to step back sometimes because what a farmer or a rancher is seeing um, is actually their truth and they're seeing something that anecdotally may not be explained in science right now and if I don't listen to how they're perceiving it then I'm missing something because I've already got the research and the science and so some of the stuff that we've uncovered in terms of the role of fungi came through conversations with ranchers that were seeing things with animal performance and mm -hmm. going I wonder let's let's explore that and I think it opens a whole doorway of possibility mm -hmm. yeah I think the why and the road is, is first of all, people will want it when they're ready to ask the questions. We always say we're looking for people who are looking for us. You know, they're already kind of wondering. I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince a, somebody who's willing to drink glossophate, mm -hmm. you know, that it's no. safe. Yeah. The brain's <laughs> muddled anyway. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to do that. And so um, it's, it's uh, uh, knowledge is, is non-instant. Yeah. And that's Beautiful. what you're talking about. And uh, I love Graham Sate. Do you all read him? Yeah, he's a friend, yeah. For instance, you know, I'd always, you read and you study about soil science and you say, okay, uh, the most important thing, uh, ratio we have, nutrient-wise, is the calcium-magnesium ratio. That for regenerative or, or for mm -hmm. organic or for natural processes. Okay. And so, well, okay, I had to memorize that. But when Graham Sait says calcium-magnesium ratio is the breathing ratio, mm. oh, we breathe in and we breathe out. We're compacted mm -hmm. if that ratio isn't working mm -hmm. or we're sitting in water mm -hmm. and so air can't get in and air can't get out because mm -hmm. there's no room. But the getting it out part is the part we never hear about. Mm -hmm. So all of the problems start down below the soil and the pathogens come in and all the saccadative rub microbes and all of a sudden you're dealing with a mess yeah. and it becomes harder yeah. the other thing that we've run into you know getting to travel and see other people's places mm -hmm. you know that's such a gift because you get to see things in the aggregate yeah and you read that uh, the magnesium sulfur and magnesium are the two uh, things that humans are most deficient in, and then uh, animals are 
most efficient in, mm-hmm. and the soil is most deficient in. This is available, mm-hmm. sulfur and magnesium. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you say, golly, mm-hmm. uh, huh, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And so most of the weeds are trying to, when they die down, they're giving that back. They're fixing the soil. And when you get to a higher level, trophic level of, say, a beautiful prairie, Mm -hmm. the forbs are all fixing the little things in the symphony, you know, the big wavy things, the big standing up, protectors, Mm -hmm. boot stem, all of those. But it is the forbs, and especially the winter forbs, when we need protein Mm -hmm. in the prairie, that they come, and that's when they're going to add stuff. Isn't that a wonderful concept? I mean, just think about that going on. Uh, uh, and here we've been trying to kill the dadgum things. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, <laughs> you just start putting the, you know, the biochemical sequencing. All of a sudden, the trap door, first trap door is sulfur. Mm-hmm. What if we're real deficient in that? And you don't have sulfur to start with in salt. Then everything else is a workaround. Yeah. So it's harder to fix. <laughs> and regenerative ag, mm. it is easier to fix the soil. Yeah. It, than it is to fix down the road mm. when the problems have developed. Mm. Yeah. Because then it becomes something else. And this has been known forever. All of the doc, you know, the doctors of the 1920s yeah. were onto this. Mm-hmm. And the AMA shut them down. Yeah. Uh, sort of thing, but I, we th- we we our businesses are built on the premise that ever sickness, ever ever disease, ever uh, malfunctioning is is a deficiency of some sort somewhere in the process, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and um, so you go to a place where you're really uh, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes more to figure it out. Mm. takes longer to to correct it yeah yeah I don't know what's your experience um we're getting some shifts faster than I have ever thought possible but it takes this connection to land to do it faster so Mm. I think if you come at land in the intention of I'm going to fix it and I'm going to make a whole lot of money out of it and I've got to pay off the investors and stuff I just find those programs don't go well there's something about our relationship and our intention when we're working with land that has a bigger effect than what I think we've ever given credence to. And I think um, people people are part of the landscape. And I think if we're integrated and really working with um, deep intention and, and deep respect for land, then I'm seeing people move land faster. And I can't explain it. But um, we're getting some pretty good results with land that's been like full of atrazine and full of glean and full of some of the really heavy chemicals that's been heavily cropped. And within two years, we're seeing massive differences. Like we're seeing C4 grass species that have been, you know, locally extinct for like 60 years coming back because you're changing that germination signal. And it's like, I didn't think that would be possible. And we're, we're testing new residues in crops that they're coming through totally clean in some of the most degraded landscapes I've ever worked in. So it's like, I have such optimism for what we can do 
with saline soils or with chemical soils or with remediating um, mine tailings. So being in those environments and kind of going, wow, you know, we can move things faster, even though this land's been degraded for 200 years or 120 years and it's full of chemicals. Um, those biology just, you turn them on and yeah I think anything's possible so yeah how do you add the biology back to the soil um my favorite way would still be worm extracts so we're doing a high fungal compost and worm like vermicast and I, I haven't seen anything then come close to remediation as they do um we're using a bit of the humic yeah like humic components as well but there's humic components in um, you know, compost and vermicast, but also if you think about humates, like the soft brown coals, they are prehistoric quorum signals of biology, right? So it's like 65 million years ago, there was fungi and bacteria and they're concentrating and being concentrated over very long periods of time that are these signals that we've been talking about. And so there's researchers now looking at what are those signaling proteins in humates. Mm -hmm. And so we're putting like a pound an acre out and it's actually giving us a response that until now was hard to, to scientifically recognize with our minds. Like it's like, where has that atrazine gone where has the glyphosate gone and it's mm -hmm. like you switch on that biology and we're measuring like we're getting like a 240 percent increase in mycorrhizae with no mycorrhizae added like i think we we think oh we're going to add something no i think we've just got to feed and stimulate and provide those signals and then that system knows what it needs to do that system knows how to get itself back and realigned and I think part of what we've got to do is get out of the way I think mm -hmm. <laughs> so much if we've been trying to push and pull and uh, 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 and it's like actually start to work with nature start to look at those sort of cycles so um, mm -hmm. the people that can do that are the ones that you really see like it's just a joy to be with them it's mm -hmm. a joy to work with them mm -hmm. it's a joy to be with them around their animals and just mm -hmm. they interact with their dogs and in their family the same way they're interacting with the soil and mm -hmm. yeah it just it's a pleasure to be around. Mm -hmm. mm. Kind of inspiring. I think also uh, uh, when we accomplish that, there is a different uh, feeling mm. of the land of calmness. Yeah. Uh, very energetic, but not high, mm. out of control energetic. Yeah. But uh, very calming. And uh, we used to always say, when we would go back and reassess. If we find a spot that we want to sit down in, mm -hmm. that's, that's, we did good. Yeah. And when you don't want to leave a park or a project that you worked on, you know, or a basin or anything, a mm. uh, garden, then that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, they're just all these signals if you're in tune. Mm. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, no, and I think a lot of ways like, yeah. to do it, and I yeah. don't think every landowner can do it the same way. No, uh, as other people. So you have to be kind of. Uh, some people can do it just with mob grazing. Yeah, and because some of that is where their land is mm. and the history of that land, and then others can't do that. <laughs> mm. And so, uh, but we need to fix the soil if we're gonna. Yeah, have good lives. <laughs> I really liked what you said about soil as family mm. because earlier we all heard Jonathan Cobb talk about the role of love and that affection for the soil as mm. uh, an integral yeah. part of 
what we're doing. And I was reading Charles Massey on the flight over here, and he was talking about, you know, changing our mindset from the me mechanical mind of viewing soil as an it to a thou, which is more ancestral mm. and connected with how all our ancestors, all of our ancestors, had relationships with the land. So soil as family, like mm. your family is different from my family, right? Mm. How you care for and have a be in relationship with your family member mm. is completely different. And when you were talking about the, the capital part of it, I was like, of course, like what investor in today's industrial complex is going to say, okay, I'm going to fund you to remediate or regenerate the soil, some, whatever language they use. Yeah. Um, but let's see like what the full potential of the soil is. And let's just like, let's not plant hazelnuts or let's not plant mm -hmm. trees or um, do this, but let's just apply compost and then see what the full potential is because we don't even know what is buried there mm -hmm. where what what weeds are in the seed bank like what mm -hmm. what what chemicals we have access what minerals we have access to and what's going to come up mm -hmm. but i i mean in upon reflection like i think the capitalist system is is what's broken not mm -hmm. the way that you're doing no. your work yeah yeah so how do we what i think flows of regenerative finance you know what can can be as flexible and to and like self-interrogate the questions of like mm. I wonder what would be possible if we mm. worked in this way. Yeah, and I think we've got to go back quite a long way in time because this extraction is not just since the 1920s or since the Industrial Revolution. The extraction mentality that came out of Europe has been around for a long time. And so I think you've almost got to go back to before that time. How was it that people interacted with land? How did, how did, how was there a flow and a rhythm and a, yeah, what they placed value on? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> Which I had the answer for that one. <laughs> I think in just the last 10 years, I've seen a tremendous um, reduction in soil health, generally, oh. traveling around mm. just here in Texas. Yeah. Uh, That's why I left New Zealand. The last 10 years, the industrialization has just gone through the roof, so you can no longer wade in many of our rivers. I'm not talking about swimming. You can't even wade in there. You can't let your dogs drink the water because they'll die. Um, to see New Zealand rivers where I've always fished and swum and see that happen in a decade, it's just been, it's been shocking. And then the scientists are saying, no, it's fine, carry on. Our waters are in great shape. We did some measurements. Yeah. And you're like, have you been outside? Yeah, so... <laughs> One of the th you're gonna hold that for me. Thank you. <laughs> One of the things reasons I go back to people's place not just to see how we're doing, but to make sure they're seeing some of the good things I'm seeing because most of them are subtle. Mm. Yeah. And they have been told that it's a pile of junk. Mm -hmm. You know that it won't work, and then they have never seen. What is when people come to my farm and they say, Oh, this is what you mean by letting the grass grow. And I have a saying, if you want the grass to grow, you have to let the grass grow. <laughs> <laughs> Not rocket science. I mean, but, but think what we do. Yeah. You know, we keep running ahead and getting in front of it mm -hmm. and say, Oh, it needs more nitrogen. Oh, it needs to be planting. Oh, it needs to be yeah. short and look look yeah. really neat. <laughs> and my neighbors all say when we gather out by the roadside, um, in the road, uh, talking yeah. to our farm neighbors, they'll say, 
Gosh, we liked your place, Betsy, better when the farm when it was all straight roads. <laughs> and they said, "Don't you want to look like us?" And I said, "No, I can understand your viewpoint, but I don't you want to look like my place?" <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and yet they're the ones that come and say, uh, "Do you have something to help me now? I'm, I'm getting eaten out." Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the army worms are here, mm. uh, <laughs> sort of thing. So uh, I I had an um, I had an interesting insight recently. I did a I did a workshop in a place in Montana. I won't say where, but um, and it was with thirty conventional cropping guys. There were no women there, which I've never seen oh. before. And I said to them, one of the questions I ask at the start is, what do you want? What do you want for mm-hmm. your life and for your place? What's your goal? <laughs> what, well, no, just what do you want to see? Like, what do you want to see for the world? Like, that whole vision. If you could have anything, what would the, what would it look like for you? And so they had all these things up about profitability and health and, and of the landscape. But none of them wanted their children to come back. And and so I said, why don't you want your children on the land? And this guy stood up, and he was this big, burly rancher and cropping guy, and he said... Um, our inputs keep going up, the costs keep going up. I don't know what's happening with the climate. We've got so much debt and I'm so stressed. He's like, why would I want my kids to come back? And so I'm seeing a resurgence of, of, of interest because either you take that and you crawl into a deep, dark hole and you don't come back up out of that, or you go, what is possible? And so through that kind of dialogue of a two-day workshop we explore what is actually possible what are some of the tools because I think a lot of the conventional guys anyway are starting to feel really disempowered and really overwhelmed and even people in the cities like what do you do about plastic and you know mm-hmm. like just this sense of like it's all too big whereas if we just start looking at our circle of influence and that's our community and our friends like what becomes those steps that we can take for our own operations and some of the steps are really simple and I think we're shutting ourselves down from communicating with neighbours because people are worried about what each other will think and it's like they think you're weird anyway Betsy you know like so it's like we start to open up that freedom to have a conversation about what are you doing because you know I've just been in Australia they're in a three-year drought 50% of average rainfall they have to look at regenerative agriculture because they run out of options and the only ones that have grass are holistically managed adaptive grazed operations or people that are doing resilience agriculture and it's like the government over there is starting to see it the farmers themselves are starting to see it and so people are now realizing there are other options out there so i i i think it's i'm optimistic again We heard a very powerful keynote yesterday by Deborah Clark, um, who, for those on the podcast who don't know, Deborah Clark and Emery Birdwell run 5,000 head of stalkers in Texas and move them sometimes twice or three times a day. And that's like, so sometimes five times a day. It's like super impressive operation. And she's kind of like a intellectual crush for a lot of us. Um, And she had a very vulnerable talk about years where I mean it's not my story to tell but years where things went south Mm and talking about the um just laying out all the dirty laundry and Mm -hmm. and there's a a room of 500 people and um this is not named but there was a lot of energy in that that was passed from her to everyone in the room because everyone's talking about it Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of energy in letting out 
fear or despair or like whatever feelings you're feeling because we are emotional beings and um applying a purely scientific like the coldness of scientific inquiry to land Uh, it's an emotional thing it's an emotional thing that we're all doing Mm -hmm. and um i agree i actually in in recent years as as an entrepreneur who's like mission driven and trying to to help regenerative agriculture um you know empower the empowerers like that the the work in the beginning was like the consuming north star of like oh the mission like we must sacrifice everything for the mission but it's not regenerative to all become like we can't be these like human martyrs for the the mission because no one's going to follow you uh afterwards and there's not going to be a next generation if um if we if we ourselves are not regenerated in in ourselves when we're doing this work um so i don't have an answer for like how to be in this world where what right now um but i think that there is a lot of energy to the point of like you betsy talked about you know weeds falling coming up and composting and then that's actually just as at just as the roots are exuding energy out in below the soil actually weeds are doing that up the other way and there's energy being passed and cycled um through sharing of failures like composting the failures that we're talking about or composting our fears oh that's so good um (laughs) (laughs) let's compost then let's compost i mean i I want to tell deb that her sharing maybe she thought that that was maybe maybe that was a big share for her right but but in in that failure sharing that was that was definitely composted in energy that was used up for everybody else because what what changed we had a state change i think as a community we're like oh i'm not alone in this like oh i'm not alone in being unprofitable Mm -hmm. i'm not alone in not knowing what 2020 looks like Mm -hmm. uh and going to sleep not knowing like how we're going to feed our family or how we're actually going to make change when we're only you know impacting this very small piece to try to put weight on cattle mm-hmm. and we couldn't get it you know and so we had these fancy scales and you'd load them on the computer would do all the work of how much they'd gain and they didn't lose weight but they didn't gain weight mm-hmm. that much you know like you're supposed to mm-hmm. so uh, it, when we started adding compost tea and ran them on that 60 acres well here come the weight gains all of a sudden they were three four sometimes five pounds. So my brother has slipped off, and I called him, and I said, Joe I mean, we take an unbearable heat for this. Just, you know, doesn't your, your little sister know anything? Here I am, 60, 70, even to this day, the guys call my brother to tattle on me about my farm. <laughs> Do you know what she's doing now? <laughs> And he just loves it. (laughs) But I think that takes real courage. And I think because a lot of the, you know, rural communities are built upon stability and that you can trust that everybody's pulling the party line. So there's something about the, the willingness to kind of break ranks takes a lot of courage. You know, I think we need to acknowledge the people that can do that. But I think there's also that authenticity of, of being able to communicate with each other about what is working or what's not working. And it's almost like it's stifled in the rural community that we're not going to talk about 
Mm-hmm. We're not going to show off, but we're not talking about our failures either. And it's like, mm-hmm. how do we create a community where actually we can talk about anything? Because that gives us resilience. Because then if you're struggling, and, you know, I've had friends that have committed suicide, if you have that happening, when do you reach out? When do you, if you have a community that actually accepts you for whatever you are? That was the hardest part yeah. when we first started was not having anyone like us around yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we had uh, a family but we had this sick grandchild mm-hmm. <laughs> and boy I mean for a child you're gonna do a lot yeah. but for a grandchild you're gonna move anything you can mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I Sally hearing Sally Fallon talk about the health benefits I never heard a conversation about the health benefits of, of, of food, really. I mean, it, you know, it, everyone used to grow their own food. So mm-hmm. that whole thing we just gave to corporations and gave to efficiency and mm-hmm. gave to, <laughs> uh, you know, the money makers. And, and uh, uh, Charles Walters used to yeah. talk about the parity. Mm-hmm. You know, we just gave it away. And not realizing that what we were giving away. So you have to have people like Sally Fallon, yes. and you have to be ready to hear it. Can yes. you be ready to hear it? And we're the sickest nation in the world. Yeah. Why we can't have more people hearing this? But mm-hmm. I think people, more people are hearing, yeah. but no one knows how to do it because no. the universities aren't doing it. No. But I think things have changed. So I've been involved for... 20 years and having this conversation 20 years ago is not the same as having oh, a conversation y'all wouldn't be now. Here. No, but <laughs> but you see the size and the scale of these conferences and they're happening all around the world and the interest now is, and with the global community is we have podcasts that like this and we have online stuff and we have people that might be in rural areas of the middle of nowhere and they can get on their phones now and send photos to someone and say help me with this, what do you think's going on mm-hmm. and so I think that that loneliness and isolation for regenerative agriculture is gone. Like as far as I'm concerned, it's just not there anymore because you can get on the emails, you can communicate with people and you can follow in the footsteps of the people in the minefield who walked ahead of you like yourself so they can get in touch with you or they can read a book or whatever. Like I think there's so much more support Mm -hmm. than when the pioneers like yourself were trying to do things. I think sometimes it's still lonely like uh even five years ago so yeah. like we're here at the kivira american grass-fed hmi plug conference regenerate uh and and it's like at least 40 percent, if not half young people right there's a lot of young people here and the mm. and um i'm asian for anyone who can't tell over the podcast <laughs> but like five years ago i would wa- i walked into a cowboy uh it was grass-fed exchange um also wonderful conference um five years ago and there was it was not like this right it didn't I, there weren't even that many women at the conference like i, I could not have grabbed this intergenerational mm. panel of women to do a podcast on um and so i think the community has really moved towards mm. more inclusion mm. but it, it is like i still have the uh memory like the physical memory of what it's like walking in to a place where particularly not as a producer people are like okay so you're you're apprenticing on a ranch right or you're trying to make it i'm like no i think i want to do tech and um (laughs) (laughs) uh, and i've talked to a lot of ranchers and they think there's like 
there is a need for humanity-based tech that's doing, that's transferring, that's helping transfer knowledge so that we move from a, a mechanical, you know, getting people off the land to tech that helps people transfer knowledge and come onto the land. Mm. And that didn't exist. Like today, today there's a few more tech companies here, which, which I say the more the better and more community, the better. Mm. Um, but I think like there are, there are businesses that we don't even know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, like quorum sensing, mm. Nicole, what you work on is like so mm. new and, mm. the, and, so um, exciting. yeah, we yeah. have been looking, we've been looking for quorum sensing companies for the past five, six years. Yeah. 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 So, um, boy, the point I was trying to get to is anyone who's listening on the podcast, if you think that you may not belong in the regenerative world or you're intimidated to come to a conference or you feel like this is not your community, that's not true. You mm-hmm. belong. You are needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're very much a part of this community. Welcome Diversity. You. Oh, yes. Diversity. Please come. Engage. Because <laughs> yeah. well, we've all felt it. You know, we're all, so like I said, we were into um, uh, when one of our big plateau jumps was when we got into the the Phil Callahan stuff about the energy, the subtle energy. And then the order of our our, our mixes Mm -hmm. and our ability learning to Mm dials. And at first, when we were doing that, we would not tell people what we were doing. Mm you know (laughs) (laughs) and so you know all of those things Mm -hmm. you can accept them or reject them I don't care yeah I'm doing them yeah Yeah. Uh, they seem to be helping uh, sort of thing and uh, uh, everybody everybody at this conference so when they speak we are doing it scientifically I think scientifically is a real put off <laughs> in the sense that they're studying about a dead system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm studying about a live system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I want to do, I want to get to a spot where the food is really healing us. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I would say don't be afraid to do that to explore that and you know you don't know where we're going to be in another five years or ten years you know freeze dry electrostatic spraying Mm -hmm. we're looking at that Mm -hmm. I mean just all of these things we are chelating every nutrient Mm -hmm. and every uh, you know thing we can Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I have to come and visit you. Oh my God. Huh? I have to come and visit you. <laughs> that's the real icing on the cake. And I think that's the deliciousness of all of this is we, we build that foundation and we get the management and we start to get connected and then really look at how to get that upward virtuous cycle going when so many are in a vicious cycle downwards right now. And I think so much of what you speak to is this it's the epigenetic spirals it's the it's the putting nutrition back it's putting resilience back it's building ecosystems if that's in the soil or with the plant and the animal or the human being or communities i mean i think it's all so interconnected and 
it's all about energy and I think a lot of the science is coming to that perspective too and it's like but we shouldn't have to wait for science to tell us something's okay right (laughs) right right. and Richard Teague has early on we worked with him he was open to it you know he's just fantastic we went up there he wanted the big four you know and I kept saying it was a fungal dominated community Mm -hmm. not a bacterial and he you know anyway we we failed and he tried many many things what and was he so, measuring what was he looking at well uh, we could never get just the big four mm-hmm. but we took pictures all of the time and uh then you know i told you we kept a trail in a book of what mm-hmm. what happened and what not why it didn't work but later on we'd go back and figure it out sometime maybe that and so years later I was looking at this, pictures of this, and I thought, oh my God, we created a prairie. Yeah. We were such dumb butts, we didn't even know <laughs> that you wanted, you don't want four big grasses. Right. You, we did not control, didn't have enough sense to control the expectations. Yeah, right. And that's what experience cool. is yeah. about, yeah. of whether you're a failure or not. And yeah. we look at those pictures and I think, my gosh, you know, we have all of the cool seasons up this tall. We have all of the Forbes this tall. Mm-hmm. We have some of the big four sort of thing. Yeah. And and so on my booth, I do those. I have this big banner with us spraying against the city of Lake Louisville mm. with the city over there. Because you can't burn. Oh, this burning is a waste of time, by mm. the way, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But people like to burn. And my son used to say, Mama, can't you just say it's a tool we don't use Mm -hmm. instead of saying you don't like it? (laughs) 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 It's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Piss it off. (laughs) (laughs) All of your good carbon. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so people, we're just now getting enough experience to have these conversations together. Yeah. And they're not going to have ironclad rules. No, no. It depends upon where you start. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, it's a wonderful opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I work in most ecotypes. Like I work right at the top of Alberta, Canada, and I work... Uh, Western Australia and Eastern Australia and all through New Zealand and the US and you know California Montana and just the the there's no hard and fast rules because you're dealing with people's personalities at the the end of the day as well so you've got that influence on landscapes so there's no one size fits all and I think there's something in human mentality which is tell me what to do and give me the one size (laughs) and it's that how do you keep opening people to possibility of expanding you know what is possible on this landscape while they want the answer because I mean I get people all the time they just come and they've got their soil test and they're like tell me what to do and I'm like no (laughs) there is no one thing otherwise you're just conventional agriculture and the answer is 250 pounds and good luck to you Mm -hmm. um while they watch their system waste away and so um I think it's people to have that open willingness of their mindset to to keep asking these questions and keep keep realizing that we don't know and we don't know the answer specifically for you and your bit of land and your rainfall and your stock and your personality (laughs) I love that Bessie's given us permission to 
do things without asking permission yeah. from the scientific <laughs> body of whatever authority. Just right. do it. Right. Just do it if it you think it might work. And do it, girlfriend. Nicole gave us the permission to just wonder. And I really love this concept of allowing humans to leave your unique imprint mm-hmm. on ecologically on what you're doing. Because like it's just but no two farmers and ranchers are going to manage something the same way. And there's a role of creativity mm-hmm. and there's artistry to it. Yes. And that's not captured no. by our arm. What we think agriculture is. No. Yeah. I always think of language. Like people leave fingerprints on their land, and they like it's like people working with horses or doing natural horsemanship. You can see what people have done with a horse in the past. It tells you what's written all over that animal, and same with the land. And I think is that fingerprint just from this owner, or is that we're going back five generations or ten generations of of human impact and human touch and human wills and wants and suffering and joy and all of that gets laid on a landscape and that's where I think we don't have a single fit. Time is not linear, it's circular in nature, like nature is circular and generations Mm. are circular and I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's really beautiful. Mm. Mm. It's like some cultures that don't have a sense of past and future, like you have a sense of a season but you don't go, oh, 10 years ago, or like mm-hmm. people don't know how old they are because you have no context of time yeah. like that. I just think yeah. that's so beautiful. It's like, Yeah, maybe we were, yeah. maybe we're thinking in a spiral, right? Like, but, yeah. But yeah, what what you're doing on the land matters. Like what happened 50 years ago, 70 years ago, mm-hmm. that all that all has a, an impact on how you're going to choose to leave your imprint. Mm-hmm. What I like to do, I feel like my role is to heal the land. Mm-hmm but also to inspire. Yeah, well you do. The next, I mean, that is, we can do this. Mm -hmm. We can do this and it's important. Mm. But everyone in our community, just like in the soil, in the microbes, if we had too narrow a group, it will always crash yeah. a species. Yeah. If we have just gated communities we live in, they will always divide a community. Yeah. If we don't value everybody, every little microbe, yeah. everything, every sweet little, I mean, when the peanut comes up, yeah. all of a sudden, and you say, I can walk the pastures, and I say, darling, where have you been? <laughs> you have been there for 50, 60 years waiting for me to, and we have a saying, yes. to set the table yes. so you can come back up. Yeah. And there you are in yeah. the ground saying, hey, hey, do you smell that? Yeah. Do you hear that? There's food. On, they're feeding us. Mm-hmm. They're calling us. Wake up. Wake up. Here we are. Here we are. What can we do? We can help. We can help. Mm-hmm. And that's what these communities and these disasters we've been living through mm-hmm. have done. Yeah. Everybody helps. Mm-hmm. You know, the widow's might. Here we I can help. Mm-hmm. Come. And I, we tell, say, about our farm is <laughs> that we are trying, we want to feed everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody crawls over, walks over flies over, digs over, lives in the ground, hiding in the ground, wants to come, two-legged, four-legged, come on, we invite you, and I'm going to fix a place at the table for you. Mm -hmm. And so we leave our pastures in different stages, 
So different things can come and we don't shoot anything. The roaches in the house are not allowed though. Yes. And and this is the call if you will listen. Yes. You know. It's the song. And it, yeah, I mean, the Aboriginals talk of the song lines, and a lot of people I'm working with are working on the song lines, and the song lines are singing. Mm-hmm. And it's right across, it's not do the soil, but the humpback whales are doing it right now. They're coming together, and they're standing in the water, and they're singing, and they're singing on the ley lines. That's not for this. And that it's this energy that's passing around the planet and uh-huh. it's people being willing to hear that and get and get on these ancient song lines uh-huh. and be on the land uh-huh. and get your feet uh-huh. bare feet and start to rejoice like that the little peevetches come up and we're going to rejoice <laughs> just want to take off my shoes and go to your place yeah 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 that's what i want to do yeah very much so oh my gosh do you have that effect on everybody? You must just get people <laughs> turning get, up. Get, so get people <laughs> just turning up at your place all the time. Oh my gosh. Well, I uh, uh, lost my son two years ago. Mm. My 89 year old sister is very ill now, uh, but her daughter's come down. She, we live together, have since 2000. And uh, she is the talented one. And uh, it, it's interesting how you cannot learn. You cannot experience, I guess I always say I'm a low rider. Mm-hmm. Takes me a little while to go, oh, mm-hmm. that's what you meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you say that? Did I not hear that? Yeah. Sort of thing. Uh, uh, but this health issue, realizing that we have just thwarted Mama Nature. Mm-hmm. And I use Mama Nature. I love it. Yeah. In an affectionate way, because I think it is a love affair with the land. Mm. When I get home, boy, I'll check on my sister, make sure she's okay. The time I will be out the door, down the lanes, and I will be walking mm-hmm. with my stick or my shovel. Yeah. And we are going to go. And that's the same thing my farm manager will be doing when she's gets back to she's here at the conference right. with us and then my we have a shop in and uh, Tom in Houston mm-hmm. too that and uh, uh, Brian who kind of uh, uh, takes the place of my son's uh, position in the company and the work well does a lot of the uh, commercial mm-hmm. uh, um, projects and a lot of the ag mm-hmm. he's a great grazer he misses that part but um, he he will be out on the land too, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, to be regenerated, mm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if you can sit quietly, we have these. We have a mile of riverfront, mm-hmm. oh, wow. one side of, yeah. and then we have the lowlands, three hundred acres, and we have two hundred acres up on to, up upland. Mm. So wonderful, you know, black land. Mm. Uh, a lot of weeds and a lot of stuff, 
beautiful Tipton and others, <laughs> you know, with such different stages. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity to see all kinds of things. And if you sit quietly, I swear to goodness, you can all sense all of the people who've lived on there. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. Mm -hmm. And all of the herbs that have run over it. Mm -hmm. You know, and all of the Indians that camped on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, people come at this, this year, we had the, uh, uh, we had the Christmas count with the Auburn. We've done that for years. Y'all familiar with that? You need to put that on your deal for people to do. Christmas and, count? Hmm? Christmas. Christmas count all over the world about the birds. Christmas count. Uh, do birds. the count of birds. Yeah. And the Audubon Society does that. And I don't think that's the same group of Audubon that's down there. I don't know if it's the Audubon Society or not. But uh, they will do a count. And uh, from that, you can kind of see. So your number of species, like my neighbors will have one shrike, I'll have 12 to 15, <laughs> you know, and uh, they count the number of species and mm. uh, all kinds of things. We had the herbologists come today. Mm. Have you ever worked with them? The herb? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had them come in this year, and guess what they wanted to, to see? It was the, they wanted to, um, Harvest the wild, our wild oats. Uh, you know we don't plant anymore. Yeah. Uh, we used to spend a fortune planting, <laughs> and it, you know, trying mm. to mm. do everything, get the protein up. Yeah. Don't do that. But the fact that the herbologists want the wild oats, don't tell me wild oats don't have enough nutrition in them. Um, if mm. they have for centuries have gone after that in yeah. the dough. Yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking it's a complete, pro incomplete protein, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Starksville, you familiar mm -hmm. with that? Mm -hmm. Nothing, our cattle don't eat that, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But in the springtime, you know, it's used, the herbologists use it for if you're trying to dry up your milk or, or you know, uh, uh, contain your fluids uh, after diarrhea or anything like that. Mm. So here I had this intern, Kara Kroger, who was trying, uh, you know, I was visiting, do I really, can I learn anything from this intern or not? <laughs> it's kind of my deal. <laughs> Does she know anything? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what do you think about it? What, what do you call that? Well, that's uh, uh, Storksville. And she said, it's what it's used for and whatever. And about that time, Julie, my farm manager, comes up from the bottom, and it's the springtime. And all there's so much less grass in, and all the steers had, uh, all my grass feds had dirty bottoms. Mm -hmm. And she said, Betsy, you have to come. They're eating the storks, Bill. <laughs> I went, yeah. Everything has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Nothing random in Mama Nature. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not just... It's connected. Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, you little microbes, you've been run off, but I'll help mm -hmm. best I can. And then the atmosphere. And then, you know, the, yeah. It, yeah. don't tell me it's not connected. Don't tell me everyone's not important. No. Oh, exactly. Can we real yeah, quick do go. like one book recommendation or 
I have a list. I'll bring it. Uh, Pat okay. Kobe's Natural um, Cattle Care. That's a good one. Do you read those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of those are the most important thing for a newbie. <laughs> yeah, that that's actually yeah. So you're saying book recommendation for a newbie, definitely. The, yeah. And uh, uh, Michael uh, uh, Phillips is who his uh, his books, and I noticed that the tree guy down here yeah. was had those. And Judith Swartz's books mm -hmm. are powerful. Can't save yeah. the planet. Um, but that would what what would you recommend? I think for someone starting. Well, there's some really good practical books, yeah. but I think for some of the soil stuff, like um, Foundations of Natural Farming by the Foundations of Fa Foundations of Natural Farming by Dr. Harold Willis. Yes, has has I a nice. Reading him the yeah, other day. I kind of like that. It's science, but there's some it's that practical stuff, and I think for me because I have a scientific mind anyway, I like the the technical stuff, and then how do we apply that? But I think. Yeah, Pat Colby's books for reference are just gold. Yeah. I love her, like her Pat Colby um, mineral mix. I've been using that for 20 years, and by Jove, that stuff works. Yes, it so does. So good. Yes, so good. Anyway. Because I'm from the California landscape, Tending the Wild by Kat Anderson really helped me blow my mind wide open. You know, I'm, I'm still very much a beginner, so blew my mind on how to read the landscape in California in, in a, on a landscape scale uh, rather than what I thought agriculture was. And then um, for doing the work, Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown is really good and it's an ecological way of thinking about change making. Actually, no, I'm gonna take that back. Remove the other book. <laughs> I think um, The Call of the Reed Warbler by Charles Macy here. Yeah. I haven't read that one. Yeah, it's it's been in Australia for a while. I've, I mean, I've done a few tours with Charlie. He's awesome. But just the interviews and the stories with behaviour change and what ranchers and farmers, anyway, are doing in Australia is really good. Thanks for listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast. Make sure to rate us and subscribe wherever you listen and check back in late March for our next episode. The apprentices of Round River Resource Management will be chatting with their mentor, Lewis Martin. This podcast is produced by Ariel Bobbitt and Shauna Burhans and co-sponsored by PastureMap, the Kavira Coalition, and the Grassfed Exchange. Music by Kev Rowe. See you next time.